0: Hello and welcome back. For today's podcast, we're joined by Helen Gowans from the Ocean Conservation Trust, who is speaking with us about their work to conserve marine wildlife across the UK's southern coast. Helen describes their work to protect blue meadows and goes into how the Trust works with fishermen and other stakeholders to create positive relationships between conservationists and industry. If you like this episode and like to follow more on this project, please follow the links in the description if you'd like to support us, you can make a donation at restoralplanet.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, and welcome back to Restore Planet Podcasts with me, your host Jack Cole. So today I'm joined by Helen Gowans from the Ocean Conservation Trust down in Plymouth. So Helen, welcome. Um, how are you? Thank and tell you. us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Happy to be here. Um, So, yeah, I'm Helen. I work for the Ocean Conservation Trust. I'm the public and community engagement manager here. Um, So all of the informal learning that we do with the Ocean Conservation Trust, that's what I run. Uh, The charity itself uh, has been set up, and we've got a mission of connecting us with our oceans. So it's a lot of that ocean optimism uh, that you guys talk about a lot. Um, Getting people in on and under the water and also hoping to uh, protect and restore it as well. So that's what we do.
0: Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about the current state of our uh, marine habitats.
1: So uh, here at the Ocean Conservation Trust we like to be optimistic, Um, you know there's there's always a point of return for us I think. Um, But there are areas that particularly need uh, protecting and restoring, habitats in particular um, are sort of declining around the place um, the more that we develop and the more that we use our ocean uh, not for the best ways basically. Um, so yeah there's a lot of work to be done but I feel like it can be done.
0: Great okay good start so tell me a little bit more specifically what kind of um, in terms of those habitats what sort of species are there what kind of ecosystem um mammals, that kind of thing. What, what, what can we expect to see uh, in those areas?
1: So um, there's obviously uh, the the big one, coral reefs, for instance, they're, um, you know, the showstoppers of the ocean, basically. But they're also a really good indicator of uh, things like climate change and the changing of the ocean. So they're a really important one, and there's um, a lot in the news recently about um, the Great Barrier Reef and uh, bleaching events that are happening. Um, but there's also some positive news as well in that in that way of um, they are it is sort of coming back to life a little bit, um, particularly after the sort of lockdown and people weren't using that area as much, which is really nice. Uh, but then if we go more locally... Um, you know, we are looking at um, seagrass protection. So seagrass habitats. Seagrass is the only flowering plant um, in the world. Uh, Seagrass can be found on every single continent apart from Antarctica. Um, so it's literally everywhere, um, but it is in massive decline at the moment. And But it's a really important habitat. It's a nursery ground for the fish that we eat. So fishermen rely on the seagrass habitats to be nice and healthy so that they can then go on catch the adult fish that rely on those nursery grounds. It's a really important habitat for uh, coastal protection as well. So we're seeing more storms and everything with climate change coming in, Um, but it protects our coastline, so it acts as a buffer for us because it it holds that sediment in place and it's not crashing against um, our lovely towns and cities that are built all along the the coast. Um, And then the other thing is it's amazing carbon storage as well. So it stores carbon in its root system for... Millions and millions of years, um, which is actually helping buffer the effects of climate change because that extra carbon that we're producing through things like burning fossil fuels and, uh, you know, little things like putting the kettle on, that sort of thing, it all adds to this carbon being released into the atmosphere. And then this um, seagrass is just an amazing, amazing plant that will store that carbon in its root system. It's called sequestering carbon. And it's actually more effective than the rainforest at doing this. So it's one of those little secret plants that no one really talks about, but it's actually one of the most important um, ecosystems, I'm going to say, on the planet, because we love it here. <laughs>
0: yeah, good, yeah, fantastic. Okay. So more specifically, how is human activity affecting the decline in seagrasses? grasses?
1: So there's a couple of different ways. So add the more we add carbon to our atmosphere, so the more fossil fuels we burn, the more pressure we're putting on this plant, because you know it can only, you know, it gets to capacity. The other thing is that the seagrass habitat is in decline as well. So we're losing quite a lot of our seagrass habitat. So things like unsustainable fishing techniques will rip seagrass beds up and because we pull the root system out and then all of that sediment is released into the ocean and along with all that carbon as well. So um, that's really, really important to consider. And then the other thing is uh, just recreational boating as well. So if someone puts down their anchor, in a seagrass bed it will create a anchor scour um which is where the anchor literally will move on the seagrass bed and create this sort of scour where it will rip all that seagrass up um so yeah it's yeah those are those are the main things that are affecting it at the moment
0: okay so you mentioned uh, the importance of seagrass what, what other species uh Does the, you know, what's happened to seagrass? Does that have knock on effects on other species numbers or behaviour or populations or what? what, um, Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. So seagrass, like I said, is a really important nursery ground for commercially important fish. So you've got um, things like pollock, you've got cod, all these little baby fish live in this seagrass habitat because it's a nice safe area for them to live. Um, things like cuttlefish as well rely on it to lay their eggs on Um, so things like that and then globally um, not in the UK uh, species like the turtle and the dugong um, they uh, rely on it they eat it they then um, spread its seed uh, which allows it to grow more Um, but yeah the more that habitat's declining the less the it's like your own home getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you're only left with your living room, which isn't very helpful because you've got nowhere to cook your food <laughs> if that makes sense so there yeah, that's that's what's happening to the seagrass Of course not
0: ideal and in terms of a trend, is this something that's sped up quite recently has it been kind of like a slow gradual? Uh, decline over perhaps a couple generations what's the general uh it's
1: it's always been a gradual thing happening over generations but there is um there's it has been speeding up in the past um a uh, decade or so, because basically the use of the ocean is getting more and more. There's more pressure on fishermen to bring in more fish um, as the population's growing. So uh, these unsustainable fishing techniques are being used more and more and more. Um, and we're finding that there's also like a decline in these fishing populations. So they, they're going to different areas to fish, which happen to be where the seagrass meadows are. Okay.
0: I think that brings us in nicely to uh, begin chatting a little bit about the specific projects that you've got going on at your Ocean Conservation Trust. And it be great if you tell us a little bit about the work you're involved with and, uh,
1: yeah, what you've yeah, got going yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. So for me and my team, what we do is uh, basically achieve our mission statement, which is connecting us with our oceans. So um, here based down in Plymouth at the National Marine Aquarium, the aquarium that the charity owns and runs, we create experiences for people to connect with the ocean. So we have our amazing conservation pathway that we follow, which is experience and participate. So you do an experience with us, whether that's snorkeling on these lovely seagrass meadows, coming to the aquarium, joining in with a show about sharks or something like that. Uh, You have this amazing experience with us. Through that experience, you discover and learn something new. And then hopefully you go on to connect with the ocean in a really positive way uh, and then act to protect it as well so that's our sort of public and schools facing um, side of things so we have a big schools program as well where we get schools to come to us and we do workshops with them and it's all linked to the national curriculum as well um so that's really important for us and then we've got our restoration habitat restoration side of things as well um so um you know we're talking about seagrass so we have our blue meadows project um which is protecting and restoring seagrass meadows particularly down in the southwest. At the moment, Uh, the Blue Meadows program is very ambitious and we're going to uh, protect and restore 700 acres over five years. And that's 10% of the UK's seagrass uh, population um, or habitat. So, um, yeah, really ambitious but really exciting project. Um, We have already, I think we're on 20. Um, acres at the moment so yeah it's it's a really exciting project but um, basically the idea around it is to find these seagrass meadows which are in need of protection and basically make them known to people because that's one of the hard things about the ocean you can't protect what you can't see (laughs) Um, And that's, you know, everything's covered in water. So, uh, you know, the local boat users might not even know that the seagrass is there. So one of our key things is to um, marker these um, seagrass habitats that are there, putting marker buoys there, just to make people aware that they're there and giving them the choice whether or not they anchor there or not having gained that bit of knowledge. So we'll be working with like local harbor authorities to put these buoys in place. Obviously, with that, we need to do a bit of um, engagement around that, a bit of education around that. So we've got a big education program happening where we'll go and talk to boat users, um, you know, run run seminars. I think we've got beer mats in in certain pubs around the place as well, just telling people what they are as well, which is always a good thing. Um, and uh, yeah, and then over time as well, we will basically assess has this made a difference? So we'll do a lot of diving on these areas, monitoring them and reporting back how healthy this um, seagrass meadow is. So that's one of the the key things. And then the other side of that is to restore it as well. So um, we have a huge facility down here um, where we are basically planting seagrass seeds in a lab and we grow them up to be shoots and then we will replant them onto these seagrass beds that need restoring. Um, it's a lot of um, we're trying lots of different techniques to do this, to see which one's the best one, which one's the most efficient one, which one produces the best results after we planted them. So we've got an amazing team here that do a lot of that work, um, go diving quite a lot, which is nice for them. Um, but yeah, that's so that's our Blue Medics program as well. So I'm sorry, what was the timescale for that in
0: terms of into the future? Is that like a long term plan or?
1: Yeah, so at the moment, we've got funding for five years. So it is a funded project. So um, that'll be over five years that we are are doing this. Um, but, you know, the work never stops. <laughs> we hope that we can continue this for many, many, many years to come and just keep restoring this, this seagrass and then hopefully expand the project as well to be all around the UK. And then if these techniques work, there's potential to take it abroad as well.
0: Fantastic. And what have been some of the... Uh, perhaps unexpected day-to-day challenges that you faced um, in your work?
1: Um, You know everyone we speak to comes with a different background and a different story and a different connection to the ocean. So I think one of our major challenges here at the Ocean Conservation Trust is tailoring, tailoring our messages to the right people. And you know, I, I say it quite often say in my job, I ask a lot more questions than I give answers to because I get to know my audience quite a lot. And that can be quite challenging because sometimes it's quite slow. Um, but as long as you know your audience, you know how to get those messages across, but it's very time consuming. Uh, so for instance, I wouldn't go in and talk to a school group the same way that I would talk to a, a group of fishermen that I'm trying to influence because it just wouldn't go down well, <laughs> basically. Um, so yeah there's a there's a lot of different techniques we have to use when talking to people um but having said that you know conservation it starts with people so that is the the crux of what we do we have to get people involved and uh feeling like they're a part of it and that they can make a difference as well um otherwise there's there's not much point in doing our work because it will just be undone (laughs) immediately absolutely so
0: public engagement and you know Awareness uh, raising is obviously a really crucial part of, uh, you know, conservation and, and getting the ball rolling. You mentioned there's sort of different techniques that um, you might use for different groups, and I was wondering because perhaps some people in our audience, including myself, might be engaging or beginning to engage in something similar to to the work that you do. And I was wondering how would you approach say fishermen or these different groups differently? What sort of different techniques, different approaches, perhaps? What different things do you bear in mind when you're talking to these different yeah. uh, people?
1: So, yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one to answer in something that people literally spend their lives trying to write papers on and that kind of thing. So um, with a group of fishermen, for instance, you know, we're talking about their livelihoods here. So it, they are sensitive topics that we're talking about. You cannot just go in all guns blazing like, hi, you need to stop fishing here because no point they will just turn their back on you and carry on their daily lives. But having said that, Most fishermen that we engage with are really interested in that sort of science behind fishing. And why it's important to protect some areas so that the fish can, you know, grow up and be happy, be happy, (laughs) grow up and and grow big enough that they can then be caught and the fishermen can make their livelihoods off of it. So that's one thing that we consider a lot when we're talking to a group of fishermen is you you have to be quite sensitive to their needs and their topics as well, especially, you know, It's pretty hard times at the moment. (laughs) Um, So people do need to make money. And yeah, we consider that as well. Um, When we're talking to say we get a family group into the aquarium, it's really important that we get to know that family group. So, you know, have you have you visited a beach today or, you know, when was the last time you went to a beach? Those kind of questions are really important because it gets us. Um, it's sort of gauging how they interact with the ocean because you get some people that come to the aquarium and they've just come because they wanted their toddler to run around the building, basically, something to do. But there's always that hook that you can get them in on um, to sort of like start up these conservation topics as well. So that's something really important. Um, we're actually running a project at the moment called Think Ocean. Uh, which is getting people to think about the ocean in their daily lives. Uh, And it's an online tool that people can use. And you basically run through a series of questions about your connection to the ocean. So, you know, what things do you do to protect the ocean? When was the last time you visited the beach? How does this picture of the ocean make you feel? And it basically categorizes you at the end. It sorts you in the end into uh, different shoals. So we have the head shawl, we have the heart shoal, we have the hand shawl, and then we have a new starter. And it basically starts people off on their journey to these promotion habits that they can do, but it's tailored to the type of person that they are and how they already interact with the ocean so it's easier for them to get involved in it so for instance the heart shoal which i'm in (laughs) you know you've got that already got that love for the ocean that affinity with the ocean that sort of sense of calm when you go to the ocean so um the that's that's that shoal and the suggestions for it are very sort of things that you can do at home in your home with it so that you can bring the ocean home with you as well and then the shoal is very much you know they're the they're the people that like to discover something new uh, about the ocean so it's finding ways to connect them to the ocean and then hands are the very practical people who like to get involved with beach cleans and stuff like that so it's just little ways to suggest how people can can protect the ocean but trying to tailor it to, to them as a person basically
0: Imagine that you're part of the show, and you say,
1: uh, yeah, right, right. How,
0: and how, how <laughs> might someone, as you say, bring home the ocean with them?
1: Um, so it's just basically thinking about the ocean when you're at home. So, for instance, for us, it's these little habits that you can create, basically. Uh, in your daily life that means that you're thinking about the ocean when you're at home so for instance very small changes like turning off lights when you leave a room means that you're thinking about the ocean in your own home which is incredible that's what we want everyone to do basically um you know when you go shopping you're not choosing the plastic wrapped um items of vegetables you're choosing the, the loose ones and that again you're thinking about the ocean when you're doing that because those small habits have such a bit when you build them all up and you've got all your shoals doing all of these activities um it builds up to a massive change uh, for the ocean and a positive one
0: Fantastic. Something I always thought was quite brilliant, whether it was intentional or not. Um, and again, sort of, there are sort of debates about how uh, effective and efficient recycling is and that sort of thing. One thing I always thought was really quite something was we're at a stage in and not just the UK, now, many parts of the world, um, but every time someone goes to throw something away, they have to make an environmental choice. You know? mm-hmm. But whether they're an environmental person or not, they have to think this bin or that bin or otherwise. And what you said there sounds like something quite similar and it's as you say it's sort of yeah. every day it's in someone's mind um
1: brilliant good yeah, stuff. that's it
0: yeah yeah okay well, well, well helen um so tell me a little bit what do you think in terms of uh so next five to ten years what do you think in terms of how things are trending i know things are a little bit sort of up in the air at the moment um in many ways but how do you think things are going to pro- progress what are things you'd like to see how are things uh shaping yeah up? i
1: think uh, it's obviously very difficult to say what's going to happen in years' time, but I think uh, consumer habits are going to be a massive thing. You know, we've got a huge population of people that have chosen to be vegan, for instance. Um, we do have, you know, a lot of shops have opened where, you know, you don't use any plastic, that sort of thing. Eco holidays are becoming a new thing, you know, staycations, that sort of thing. So I do think these consumer habits are going to drive... a a positive change which is really nice so start sort of starting from the bottom up um which is really really nice um you know, it's always difficult to know what's going to happen at the top end of that, <laughs> but we can be optimistic here. But I think as well, like um, there's a lot of projects now working on this habitat restoration side of of conservation, which is really key because if you don't have the habitats, you don't have the fish, the animals, uh, all the benefits of that habitat happening. So that's that's really important. But it's really nice to see that there is a sort of key focus and a drive towards that. Um, which is really nice. And, and we do get massive support from the general public as well around those projects. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm very optimistic, but I think that's because I'm a part of the heart shop, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, I'm very optimistic, but I think our charity is very optimistic as well. Um, and I think, yeah, there's there, I think there's good things to come.
0: Yes, i think that's a nice place
1: to, to finish so helen
0: where can people find you support your work see what work uh, you've got going on over at the ocean conservation trust
1: so different ways so we've got our website um trust.org if you're particularly interested in our blue meadows project that's a different website so it's blue um or If you're down in Plymouth and you want to come and visit us, we're at the National Marine Aquarium here. So all of our Ocean Conservation Trust staff are based here as well. Um, So, yeah, pop in and and have a chat, basically. And if you want to become a member, please do. Fantastic. Oh, Helen, thank you. uh, Thank you for your time. No problem at all. It's been fun.